Hi everyone and welcome to Autism and Neurodiversity Coaching's Neurodiverse Universe podcast. Uh, it was with myself, Ben Holmes. Um, just a little bit about what we do. Um, in case you're not aware, we offer coaching for individuals um, who are autistic and other conditions like ADHD, uh, mental health conditions as well. We do training for businesses, uh, I do public speaking and we have an online content library. Um, we get involved with other neurodiversity related stuff as well. Um, if you want to visit our web, visit our website, it's uh, autismandneurodiversitycoaching.co.uk. Um, we also have a partner company called Autistic Army. Um, so that's enough about us. Um, today's about the special guest we have, which is Alex Manners. So welcome, Alex, to the, the podcast. Um, so Alex is a TV personality, uh, neurodiversity speaker, uh, and he's done a lot of other things as well, which we'll, we'll get into during the podcast. Um, so it's great to, hear, to have you here, Alex. Um, so we'll just start off with just a few questions I normally ask people, uh, and then we'll sort of see how it goes uh, throughout out the podcast. Um, I will say there's a lot I want to talk about with football. Um, so because that's one of my interests so we'll we'll, def we'll definitely come on to that in a bit um so first question i normally ask is when were you actually um diagnosed um i think you say it's just asperger's uh, so when was you diagnosed as, as having that so i was diagnosed with asperger's when i was 10 years old so back when i was in i think i was in year five primary school um yeah so i was 10 years old when i was diagnosed and I remember the process, it only took me about a year to be diagnosed, which still seems quite a long time, but it was a lot, it was a lot shorter time frame than some of my friends took to be diagnosed. So yeah, I was diagnosed um, when I was about 10 years old. Yeah, and now it's interesting, like you say, a year is a long time, but compared to others, it, it could take a, a lot longer, as you know. Um, I think it's, it, it's different speaking to people who have been diagnosed um younger and ones older uh, later on in life i think there's different dynamics with that as well um so how did you sort of find being diagnosed at that age how did it sort of affect you in in one way or the other well when i was diagnosed i didn't really know much about asperger's or about autism um i didn't really know what it was so the process of being diagnosed I don't remember it being at all in any way bad. I remember it being quite a, a fun um, process, to be honest. Um, but but actually yeah. being diagnosed, because I didn't know anything about Asperger's and autism at the time, I could only really go by what my parents told me. And I remember as soon as I was diagnosed, um, I remember having a meeting at school and the, the Senko there told me that we were that I had autism uh, or Asperger's. And my dad took me out of that meeting. And straight after that meeting, he literally said to me, um, Asperger's is a positive thing that gives me special powers and that I should look upon it as something positive and that lots of our family um, have Asperger's traits as well. So because at the time, that's literally the first thing I found out about Asperger's, that's kind of what I've always believed. Um, and I've always viewed it as something positive and something that I feel lucky to have been able to manage throughout my lifetime. No, so that's really good. Really good that um, they told you that straight away. Um... Because that must must have had a, as you've said, a massive positive impact 
uh, on your life, having found that out. Because um, as you probably know, a lot of people get told the opposite, um, which is obviously not true. Um, and therefore, it can be a different sort of path for them. So uh, that's really good. It's really good. Uh, and yeah, I agree. I, I do see it as having lots of special talents uh, in, in one way or another. Um, obviously, everyone's different. They have different sort of talents. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm fully on board with that. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, you know, I'm very lucky that I had parents that thought of Asperger's and looked at Asperger's in that way. You know, there have been challenges and there, there will continue to be challenges throughout my life uh, because of the nature of it being a hidden disability. But, you know, those positive elements of my Asperger's are, I believe, who make me, they, they make me the person I am today. And those are the, the positive things that I like to call my Asperger's superpowers are the things that I, I like to focus on every single day. Yeah, why not? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, um, as you said, you've you've got some real strengths, so it makes sense to just focus on them and and what you can what you can do, and not so much what what you struggle with. Um, I think too many people sort of look at trying to get everyone to be able to do everything, and I think it, it doesn't work like that, does it? So, no, it's good. Um, so. Next question I was going to ask is, um, well, I sort of merged two questions in one, really. One would be, what what did it mean to you and how did it change your life? So I think we've sort of covered that one. Um, the next one is actually, how did friends and family respond? Now, you've already said about your family being um, very supportive. Um, so what was it like, like with your peers or friends or anything at, at school? I think... With my friends at school, I kind of think they they kind of just accepted it. I mean, um, I was bullied a little bit at primary school. Um, you know, I had a lot of people in my class telling tales on me. Um, and also I felt that the teachers didn't really understand my Asperger's. So although, you know, I was bullied a little bit, on the whole, a lot of my peers and my friends kind of just accepted it as being who I was. But I think it was the teachers, a lot of the teachers, didn't really understand it and in my opinion didn't want to understand it and they thought that putting things in place for me was unfair because other people wouldn't have those things in place for them so they thought that it was unfair for me to have a different rule to everyone else but I mean in terms of my family um, I've mentioned my parents being really supportive but to be honest all of my family were extremely supportive I've got a really large um, family so all of my my grandparents were really supportive uh, my uncles and aunties were really supportive as well. I had a little bit of uh, difficulty with my sisters at home. I think purely because I got a lot of my parents' attention and I was having a lot of meltdowns at the time and they probably didn't really understand that. So my relationship with my sisters was never really that good. But the rest of my family was really were really supportive. Yeah, no, I understand that. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough. Um, it's good that you've had all that support. Um, obviously... Uh, some of the issues you've had. Um, yeah, I mean, I can sort of understand it from both ways, but at the end of the day, uh, in terms of, you know, your siblings and whatnot, having, you're wondering why you're getting special treatment, but the obviously thing is, autistic people, Asperger's, ADHD, whatever, we need, we do need more support in, in different areas, so there's no way of getting around that, it's just how it is, and the better people understand that, the better it will be sort of moving forward. Um, and like with schools, obviously saying that, um, you know, you can't have 
special treatment or want of a, a better word. Um, again, similar thing. You, you, we do need um, more support and we don't get it. So then if everyone has the same level of support, then it's going to be an, an uneven balance, isn't it? So, um, so just with... Um, well, the next question I normally ask is, have you had any support since diagnosis? So I'd be interested, uh, when, when I say support, I mean in terms of uh, outside of your family or friends like doctors or you know, any sort of professionals, um, because you've been diagnosed at a young age, that again, it adds different dynamics. So have you received any sort of support after that? Yeah, um, when I was younger, so when I was first diagnosed, I used to go and see a child psychiatrist at a place called Cams. So I used to go there. I probably went there for about two years and I saw her. I can't remember how often I saw her, but it was probably once every two or three weeks, I'm guessing. And she was really, really instrumental, not only in helping me to deal with some of the challenges that I was going through, but also to help my family as well. Like she was really um, helpful to my family as well. So she was absolutely an amazing individual to see. I've also been involved with a local charity in my local area called Family Equipped. And they help young individuals with autism and Asperger's. Uh, and the, the founder of the charity was actually really instrumental in helping my parents to get me the diagnosis in the first place. And then helping me to go to a smaller independent secondary school. So um, I used to attend the charities. They did like youth therapeutic clubs every week that I used to attend. And I now, I now volunteer at those clubs. So that's been really, really instrumental. And then um, I had help at both my primary school and my secondary school. Uh, primary school, I had some support from the school Senko. And then in my secondary school, the Senko there was absolutely amazing. And yeah, I could go and see her whenever I needed. But I also had learning sport teachers in my lessons. So every single lesson that I had, there was always one or two learning sport teachers in there who were, again, really, really instrumental in helping me, you know, through school and cope with a lot of the challenges that I actually went through. That's, that's really good to hear. Um, really good to hear that you've had a lot of different sort of support networks. Um, that's really good to hear. Um, so I, well, I know for fact many maybe people don't sort of get any support. Um, tends tends to be more the late diagnosed, uh, which I've sort of fallen into that category. Um, but it's good to see that there is support out there and was going back going back several years as well, which was even better um, better to hear. So no, that's really good, really good to hear. Yeah, it was, uh, it was brilliant, really, because, you know, I think a lot of, I think there's a preconceived idea that you, you get support up until you're an adult and then the support kind of stops. Um, yeah. Luckily for me, I did get a lot of support when I was sort of a child, teenager. And then, but, but I was very lucky that my, when I left sixth form, um, the council gave me three days of travel training, trying to help me to become more independent on public transport. So, I have received a little bit of help since leaving school. Not a lot, but I have received a little bit as well. That's, that's really good as well. Um, it's, it's good to hear because unless you know, we, I speak to people um, who are going through it, I, you, know, you can only base it on sort of research and things you see on the internet and stuff. Um, so, no, it's good, good to know there is there are things out there and have been. So, yeah. Um, so, in terms of um other conditions are there any any other conditions or disorders however you want to word it that, that you have that you know of the only other thing that i have that's sort of associated with my asperger's 
is a thing that some people may not have heard of, but it's called palelia. So, or palelia, I think how you pronounce it. It's where you sort of, you sometimes repeat sentences or words after you've said them. So it's like, um, if I say something, I'll often whisper the first sort of one or two words of that sentence that I've said. And it doesn't really affect me. Um, it's just something that I have and it will never go away. Something I'll have for the rest of my life. But that's just something else that a lot of people with autism um, or Asperger's may have. Yeah, yeah. And um, I just want to say, oh, um, a couple of questions I'll, I'll ask now. I think kind of already answered, to be fair. So one is, well, you, you have already answered it, but it is, do you see autism or Asperger's as a disability? And what's your sort of thoughts on it being a disability or not? You know, I, I've always looked upon my Asperger's as something positive and something that, as I've mentioned, that I feel lucky to have been able to manage throughout my life because there are loads of things that, you know, I can do that I find really easy. Like I'm not nervous standing up and speaking and presenting talks in front of large audiences, which I know most people would find really daunting. So I like to call that one of my Asperger's superpowers. And one of my ambitions is to become a, a TV presenter. And I wouldn't have had half of the experiences that I been fortunate enough to have if I didn't have Asperger's you know I've written a book I wouldn't have done that if I had Asperger's I presented my own radio show again I wouldn't have done that if I didn't have Asperger's so I look upon it as something that has actually really really helped me throughout my life and helped me to sort of um, be on that path to achieving my goals and my dreams it's is classed as a hidden disability as you've mentioned and you know at the end of the day it's something that a lot of people do struggle with and however many positives there are of Asperger's or, or being diagnosed with Asperger's, there are also some challenges along the way. You know, um, meltdowns, for instance, that's something that I used to have a lot of when I was younger. And also I have now. Uh, very small incidences can get me really, really stressed. You know, people, I struggle sometimes to understand what someone is asking me when they're asking me a question or I find it hard to read body language. You know, sensory things like labels in the back of shirts, certain noises really, really affect me. So there are a lot of, of challenges that are associated with Asperger's. So I think being a hidden disability is the right term to a hidden disability is the right term to use. But I think there are also many, many great positive elements of that diagnosis. And I think, you know, those are the things that I like to promote because I think those are the things that I always feel feel are a little bit overlooked sometimes. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I've, I've sort of had this discussion with a lot of people and I think I mean one thing I, I have to do is obviously respect everyone's opinion one way or the other um, which I think is important because I know some people don't think of it as disability some do and it's it's how they see it individually um, I mean me I sort of similar to yourself I look at the strengths side of it and think well you know I can do things that most people can't um, rather than the way around of you know, I can't do things that most people can. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely, definitely on board with that. And obviously, like you've said, doing the radio show and all the other things you've done um, without being neurodiverse, you, you probably wouldn't have done it as you said. So yeah, I think it's, uh, well, it's neurodiversity is needed um, in many forms um, to drive humanity forward. Um, history sort of, um backs it up as well um whether it's 
could be any philosophers, scientists, um, you know, mathematicians, sports, athletes, whatever. There's there's neurodiverse all over, um, even people don't sort of know it yet. Um, so, yeah, it's, I mean, me personally, I sort of don't refer to it as disability, but I think there can be some confusion when it comes to like, um, when it comes to like workplaces and things like that. Um, it can be hard if you say you haven't got a disability and then but you don't get the support. So there's, there's all those areas as well. Um, which is why I think sort of working for yourself in some capacity sort of fits in with a lot of neurodiverse people because um, you can control your own environment a bit more than. Um, so I've got a few uh, some random questions here I'd like to throw in. Um, so the first one, I know it's pretty obvious to me what the answer is, but I will ask it. Um, what's your favourite colour? <laughs> yeah, I knew that question was coming. Um, that my favourite colour is, I'd probably say orange, orange. just because it's it's such a bright colour and I love everything that's brightly coloured, so I'd probably have to go with orange. Yeah. Uh, and just, just on that, because I think colours is quite a big thing with a lot of autistic people, um, one way or the other. Um, I mean, I like bright colours as well. I mean, light blue is my favourite colour. Um, tend not to like dark colours in terms of looking at. Um, so, yeah, I mean, is there anything you want to add on to that, just in terms of how colours make you feel, um, et cetera? Yeah. Um, so when I'm wearing brightly coloured clothes, for instance, I feel like myself and I feel like I can conquer absolutely anything. Whereas when I'm wearing sort of dark coloured clothes, and this was most apparent when I was at school, when we had to wear dark blue, grey, black school uniforms, I always felt like I was hiding my personality. So going to school, I never felt like I was being myself. And I always felt a little bit sort of depressed going into school every day, purely because, you know, I was wearing colours that didn't express my personality. And, you know, that can be hard for people to understand sometimes, actually. Certain colours can cause your emotions to be so up or down. Um, but, but it really does, um, you know, when I'm wearing brightly coloured clothes or looking at brightly coloured things, it makes me so much happier. So, you know, brightly coloured things and brightly coloured clothes, you know, affects my personality and means a, a, a means a lot to me. No, I fully, fully understand that. I mean, ironically, I'm wearing black, um, but my favourite colour is light blue and I do like bright colours. Um, yeah, I mean, even like with foods with me, if there's certain coloured sweets, I'll have the colours I like, even if there's not much difference in the taste or it's just a aesthetically thing, I will have the, the colours I like. Um, I don't understand what you're saying with how it makes you feel. Um, I mean, just, I'll come back to this later, but like with football shirts, it's the same sort of thing with me with that. So I'll, I'll bring that up in a bit. Um, was something else I want to say then? It's gone completely out of my head. Um, no, I'll probably remember in a minute. Um, so just in terms of special interests, um, what would you say are your uh, special interests? I'd say my, my absolute biggest special interest would be definitely football. It's I think about it all of the time. I go to football matches every week. You know, our, my room is filled with football shirts, football programs, everything like that. Um, another specialist interest of mine is actually children's television. Um, so that's another specialist interest of mine. But both of them have actually been 
as well as being something that I've been able to enjoy throughout my life. They've also been things that have actually helped me with my Asperger's and helped me to cope um, with some of the challenges I've gone through. So, um, yeah, football is my main one, but also another special interest of mine is, is children's TV. Yeah. And just, I mean, just on the children's TV, are there any particular sort of programmes that, that you really like? Yeah, my absolute favourite programme, and it's not just my favourite children's TV show. I think it's the best show ever invented. And it's, it's one that I used to watch when I was younger called The Tweenies. Um, yeah. 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 And again, I absolutely love it because it's so brightly coloured. Um, but also, I always find that children's TV um, is really easy and simple to understand. So a lot of the communication difficulties that I may not understand, like certain jokes, certain sarcasm, um, you, don't, you don't really hear um, sarcasm or jokes or idioms and phrases in children's television. So I always find that children's TV is a lot easier to understand, a lot easier um, to watch. And you don't leave feeling confused when you're watching it. Like the storylines aren't all very complex. So I find them much easier to watch as well. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Um, so like in terms of the communication side, it's a lot more straightforward. Like you said, there's no hidden sort of meanings and things to try and dissect thing what what do they actually mean there because it's quite straightforward in that sense so it's clear sort of communication um and yeah with the colors i can see that actually um i think about some of the, the programs i used to love there was rugrats um, i used to love watching that um hey arnold was another one which i think that were more darker colors actually i think probably in there but yeah yeah of... sorry go on yeah i was gonna say i've heard of both of those shows yeah. Um, so yeah, I can understand. See, for me, I can. I think I can clearly understand the logic behind that. But I'd imagine if you tell other people that, they might not sort of get that straight away. I would imagine. Yeah. Um. So. Um. This question might be an easy one for you. It might be really hard, and I don't know. I don't know actually. But um, if you could sort of meet a celebrity or a famous historical figure. Who would that be and why? Or if there's more than one? Um, I've always, whenever people ask me this question, I always say like a really historical figure who's been prominent in inventing something or like a really famous scientist like Einstein um, because they're just so such intelligent people. I'd love to know how they actually came up with the ideas they came up with or actually invented the things they did. So someone like, uh, probably someone like Einstein or someone like that I'd probably say because I ju I'm just fascinated by the things he came up with and how he came up with them yeah no it makes complete sense um so just in terms of football I'm just thinking where to start with all that um I suppose we'll start with the t-shirt um, not t-shirts the football shirts um side of it so I mean I collect football shirts myself as well. Um, do you actually, I should know this actually, I'm going to ask if you support an actual team or if you just actually follow like loads of clubs. How, how does that work? Yeah, so I, I do support teams. Um, I know most people probably only support one, but I actually support four teams. Um, the teams I support are Birmingham, Swansea, Burton and Solihull Moors. Um, that's just the level of how obsessed I am with, with football. So yeah, I do I do support those four teams, but I can get behind, to be honest, 
nearly every single team I could get behind. Um, and I, there wouldn't be a single team shirt I probably wouldn't wear. Yeah, again, I understand that. I've actually got a few teams myself. Um, so Man United is the main one, then Coventry City, Wolverhampton Wanderers. And then after that, there's some that I've sort of liked in the past, like Barnsley. I mean, I'm from Chesterfield, so I still follow them as well. Um, so, yeah, and that's how I describe when people don't understand. They, they say, we've well, got to support just one, and like, Man United is my number one. But I do like the other teams, I guess, just because I like football that much. So I, I could see the, the resemblance in that, in that way. Um, there are some teams I definitely don't like, though, because that's probably where there is a difference. Um, I suppose Arsenal and West Brom are the two I don't like. Um, but yeah, so in so with with the football shirt, so is it just English clubs you like the shirts of or different countries? Um, any shirt really. I mean, a lot of the shirts that I've I've got throughout the past have been bought for me for Christmas or birthday, or um, people have given me. I've been given a lot of shirts by my older cousins and people like that. But to be honest, I will wear any shirt of any team. So sometimes there's like random European clubs that I really want the shirt from. So um, yeah, it's any any club from any country, really, I, I would collect the shirts from. And I've probably got somewhere in the region of, I'm guessing, around 200 football shirts. Right, yeah. That was, that was going to be the next question, actually, yeah. And what um, would you be able to say what your favourite shirt or shirts are, looking back? Yeah, I, I, I always say probably two of my favourite shirts. One is... A pink Juventus away shirt with a black star uh, across it, which was a few years ago now. Um, yeah. That's one of my favourites. And then being a Birmingham fan, I've also got the, I think it's about 1995-96 third Birmingham shirt, which is blue and black stripes. But it's got my cousin's name on the back, which is another reason why I really like it, because he passed it down to me. So I'd probably say those are, are two of my favourite shirts that I've got. Yeah, that's good. Um... And what's your favourite? Um, so what was I going to say then? What's do you have a favourite uh, non-English team, or is it or a favourite few teams, or is it just a very broad thing that there's like a dozen or more? Um, I mean, I follow one or two clubs in Scotland, um, just really just on social media, but Rangers and um, Berwick Rangers. But I'd say, and then my favourite sort of non-English clubs or, or non-British clubs. Um, the two I really like are um, SD Ibar from Spain yeah. and the Kaiser Chiefs from South Africa. Because yeah. um, I've got some South African family, so that's why I like them as well. Right, cool. And just with all the teams you mentioned, there's not many, what you'd call, apart from the Juventus one, not many big, what you'd call big teams. Is that, is that just... Um, by chance, or is there some sort of thing in that as well? Um, I mean, the teams that I follow um, have sort of got family ties. So, so Solihull is where I'm from. Uh, my granddad is from Swansea, so that's why I follow them. But really, I mean, a lot of the time, I just um, you know follow a team on social media or buy their shirts purely because I like the colour of their shirts. Or I'm, one of the things for me is I'm fascinated by football stadiums. So. Yeah. SD Ibar, they were redoing their whole ground and I found out about this on social media and really started following them because of that. So um, a lot of the time, 
moments for either because I, I really like the colour of their, their kit or I really like their stadium. So that's sort of the main reasons why I'd follow a club. But to be honest, I prefer, I mean, I've always absolutely loved non-league football. Um, in some respects, I like non-league football better than professional football. Yeah. Is that is that because it's more, what's the word, not approachable? But more is there any particular reason for that, the non-league side of it? I think I'm just so obsessed with football and there are so, so many non-league clubs. Um, it's e much easier to get a ticket, much easier to park, much easier to get there. And I guess you, I guess I just um, love supporting little local clubs that, you know, don't really have a big fan base. I just, you know, I'm happy watching any kind of football. So it doesn't matter whether it's a Premier League match or a ninth tier match you know I still really really enjoy it it's just the element of going to football that I get really excited about so um yeah I just love the fact that you know and another thing is I love the fact that all the fans are local they're really passionate about their club and often um sometimes they're, they're, it's a really good you get really good atmospheres at non-league football as well so um yeah yeah totally understand that yeah and um what's when you mentioned stadiums is there any other than what you've said, is there any other stadiums that you sort of um, really like or would like to go to? Um, I think the stadium I'd most like to go to is the Ibar Stadium. Um, I know they're in the second tier of Spanish football now. But they were in the top tier. But I'd say I think my favourite, two of my favourite stadiums would be the Torquay United ground or the Portsmouth ground, just because they're so historic and so unique. Yeah. Pat Torquay was one of the teams I followed at one point, actually. Um, but yeah, no, it sounds good. Um, and just last bit on that, I guess. Do you have any sort of any favourite players, or is it more the, the other things you mentioned? Do you sort of have any sort of favourite players? Um, I mean, a lot of my favourite players are Swansea players. So I'd probably say my favourite ever player was a player that played for Swansea for quite a number of years called Leon Britton. Um, yeah. I'd say he was my favourite player. Um, but yeah, normally it's just the stadiums, the kits that I'm, I'm really, I get really into. Yeah, that's good. So, I mean, is there anything you want to add with that just before I move on? Is there anything you want to sort of add? Um, I mean, yeah, that, I mean, I mean, I go to football matches every single week. So sometimes I go to two or three matches in one week. Um, so yeah, football is, is a huge, huge part of my life. Um, and it, and it's, you know, been something that's really, really, again, really, really helped me with some of the challenges that I faced as a result of, of having Asperger's. That's great. It's good that you've channeled it into a positive way. Um, and I think you've, have you been to all the stadiums now or the, well, I, it's hard to say because obviously, um, new teams will come up from the conference and what have you. But I think, have you been to currently all the uh, football league grounds? So in 2019, I completed... Oh, so hang on. You broke, so you broke up a bit then. Just Sorry, can you hear me now? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so in 2019, I completed my quest to watch a match at all 92 professional um, EFL football league clubs. Um, yeah. I've still got about, I think, three to do. But yeah, I did complete them all as of 2019. Yeah, that's really good. I know a few people have, have been trying to do that. That's quite a, an achievement in itself, really. Um, I mean, if you go to a few 
uh, two or three matches a week, it's easier. But yeah, that's still still a big thing, and obviously non-league clubs on on top of that as well. Um, I don't know if it's possible. To, well, it must be to go to all the non-league ones, but then I don't know how many there'd be. There'd be oh, there are hundreds and hundreds, so yeah. it'd be very very difficult. I mean, you could do it, yeah. but there are just I mean, there's teams every week that I see on social media that I've never even heard of. Um, yeah. And I'm absolutely obsessed with football, so. Yeah, I think, yeah, hundreds. So, yeah, it take you a, a long time to do that, I guess. Probably doable, but but then, yeah, as you say, the new ones that get added, there's always going to be new ones as well. So so just just following on from that in, in terms of what else, else you've done with football, but in terms of work-wise and stuff, so... Um, you've done the BT Sport. Uh, was it a documentary or a filming? Was it? I think. Um, yeah, I used. How did that go? Yeah, I used to. Um, so for two seasons, um, I filmed all of my local club Solihull Moors home games for BT Sport. They had like a highlights program, a bit like Match of the Day, but for the conference. So I filmed that for two seasons, and it was absolutely amazing because not only did I get to actually film the matches and work for the club that I support. But also I got to interview the managers after every single game. So it was a, an absolutely fantastic um, experience. That's really good to hear. And um, so what, what else have you done in football as well? Um, there's a few other things you've done. Oh, um, well, you've got your book, which obviously talks about um, you know, all the stuff done that. But is there anything else you've done in, in that field as, as well, work-wise? Yeah, so um, a few years ago, I started an autism and football campaign just to really enhance the experience of autistic people when they're going to matches. Um, and I've worked with a number of clubs like Arsenal, Swansea City, um, Aston Villa. So I've done a bits and pieces of work with that. And it was just a bit really just to highlight some of the things that clubs can do that are really simple and easy to put in place and don't require a lot of money. Because I think some clubs think that they don't have the space in the ground or the money to actually put things in place. There are so many small things that they can do that are really achievable. Um, and that's what I try and, I guess, promote with that campaign, that there are small things that you can do that don't cost a lot, um, don't cost and don't, don't take a lot of effort to put in place, but really enhance the experience of people with autism at matches. Yeah, no, that's really good as well. And yeah, let's like say I think a lot of them, are, they don't know the fear of the unknown. They don't know what they need to do. And sometimes... They need to just be open to doing that. So it's great that you've managed to do that and build up those relationships and sort of make make changes, which is what it's all about. Um, so just with the um, sort of TV side of it, um, is there anything you want to sort of talk about there, your experience of, of being on TV and, you know, the whole process, I guess? Yeah, so I've, I've been on TV a few times. Um, the most notable thing that I've been on was the Undateables on Channel 4. So I yeah. went on I went on there on two different episodes and it was an absolutely fantastic show to be a part of. I really, really enjoyed it. And I didn't actually apply to go on the show. One of the producers actually found an article I'd written. Right. Um, and then they got in touch with me and said, look, we've seen this article, you're really inspirational. Would you like to come on the show? But it was it was such a fantastic show to be a part of, and um, I, you know, I really really enjoyed it. Um, another 
show that I went on a few years before, I was on an, an episode of the Antiques Roadshow, right. which again was another really enjoyable experience. But that was just like sort of 20 minutes worth of filming, whereas the, the episodes of The Undateables took a lot, lot longer to film. They probably filmed me each episode, probably they did about eight or 10 days worth of filming. So, um, yeah, that, that was a bit more intense. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I mean, I, I did watch the Dundateables. I watched uh, those shows. Um, so, yeah, no, it's it's interesting to know about that as well. And it's, it's good that you enjoyed that whole experience. Um, yeah, no, that's really good. Um, did you find it, did it change once you've been on TV? Did it change much for yourself? Like, did it, I don't know, did people approach you more in general? Did you get, I don't know, how, how did sort of that work once, you, once you've been on there? Yeah, so once I've been on the show, I got a lot more people recognising me when I was going to places, um, recognising me from the show. But also um, now I, I present lots of talks. I have my own business presenting talks all around my life living with Asperger's and autism. And a lot of companies, they sort of promote me as Alex Manners, uh, star of the Undateables. So it's sort of a good, because most people have heard of the show, it's, it's a good way to actually get pe people more involved in listening to my talks and finding out more about Asperger's and autism. So um, it's only really been a positive thing going on the shows. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, it's good, good to see. Um, it's good that you've had that you've had that experience and you say people recognize you i mean i think with like the colors you wear etc it gives you that unique identity as well like you lot you're quite easily recognizable as as well the people that have, that have seen you on the show um so they'll sort of remember you um obviously i watched the show i i remember i probably would remember everyone that's been on it but like with you it was easily easily I don't even have to think about it. I just remember, I remember the name, everything. Whereas some of the guys on there, I will maybe maybe not remember the names. I don't know, but yeah. So you've got that um, easily recognisable sort of identity, as I say. Um, so what else are you sort of involved with at the moment? Do you, um, so I know you've got quite a bit of busy website. You've got obviously, I mean, you've got stuff about your book. How, how did all all that happen and Again, what was the experience of, of doing the book and articles and stuff related to that? So I now have my own business where I go around um, every different kind of organisation, law firms, school, um, council, charity, and um, present talks all about my life living with Asperger's and Asperger's in the workplace, just to try and educate and inspire people with my story um, and, and actually educate them on what Asperger's is and what it's like to live with and go to school with. So I've been doing that for a few years now um, and I absolutely love doing it. Um, being able to stand up in front of people, again, is one of my Asperger's superpowers, something that I really enjoy doing and being able to have that superpower and use that superpower to help others is such an amazing feeling. Um, I've also written a book, as, as you mentioned, called That's Not Right, My Life Living with Asperger's. I guess I always wanted to write a book or I had wanted to write a book for a, a few years before I wrote it. So the book um, was published in 2019 and I self-published it. And again, it was really just to give uh, a, a more in-depth in, in insight 
about what it's like to live with Asperger's and to go to go to school with Asperger's. And, you know, I wanted the book to be able to be read by people, not just in the UK, but all over the world. So I guess the reason for writing the book was to show people just what it's like to go to school and to live with Asperger's, but also so that I could, again, inspire people from all over the world. So those are the two main things that I'm doing or at the moment or that I have achieved. Um, I was a radio presenter for two years on a local radio station, so I don't do that anymore, but I had my own children's radio sh uh, show that I presented, and I also occasionally do, um, I'm involved with another organisation, and I go around helping them to train the police on um, how to interview neurodiverse individuals, so that's, um, that's something I really enjoy as well. Now again, they're really good, and there's, there's a lot you've got going on, I mean, the, the radio um I was trying to think in order here so the book obviously the book um it's great to you've done that self-publishing as well um and obviously the talks you do help you know the book and the talks helping others out explaining your experience and how you can use it to your advantage um it is a really good thing to do obviously all the, the training you've done for police and, and other places um I think the other thing you mentioned there is book radio show. Oh yeah, how, just the radio um, show. How did you find that process as well? Like, um, obviously, you talked about the book and the TV. Was radio just another sort of thing to do, another string to your bow, as such, or did that have a separate process behind it as as well? Well, I've always, um, well, ever since I left sort of sixth form, I've wanted to become a TV presenter um, and I've loved just presenting in general. And obviously I love children's television. So I remember being interviewed on the radio, the local radio station um, about my Asperger's. And I mentioned that I wanted to be a, a children's TV presenter. And the presenter at the time said, oh, we don't have a children's radio show. Would you like to do one? So I did that for two years. And um, it was it was just something I really, really enjoyed. Um, I was able to sort of dive into my passions, which were children's TV and my love of presenting. Um, and, and again, it was something that gave me a lot more experience of presenting. Um, so when I do finally, um, maybe in the future, hopefully get my own show or now when I'm presenting talks about my autism, I just have much, much more experience of, of doing that. So, yeah, it was it was something um, that I really enjoyed doing, but it, it was kind of something that I knew would really, really help me with my career going forward. Oh, sounds really good. Um, I mean, one of the things I was going to ask is what, um, what are your goals moving forward? So obviously you, you, you've answered a lot of that there. So, um, you obviously show that you can do a lot as well. Um, I mean, whether you're autistic Asperger's or, um, you're neurotypical, um, anyone, I won't say anyone can do anything, but, you know, people can do a lot more than what they think they can. And I think when it comes to neurodiversity, you, a lot of us, not all of us, but a lot of us have these special talents or traits and it's about using it in the right way. And you've shown that <clears throat> you can do an awful lot, um, showing the creative side of it, the, you know, like you've said, doing talks, you don't get anxious doing, doing talks in front of loads of people. Um, Many people can't do that or don't think they can do that, one or the other. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's really great to see. Um, it's great to see 
none of those people actually thriving. Um, and I see there will be more of us doing this in, in the future as, as there's more acceptance and knowledge on the subject. I think it'll only increase increase people that, like yourself doing these things. Um, so do you have any other goals that or well, goals or things you want to achieve outside of, of what you've already said? Is there anything else you'd sort of really wanting to do as well or get involved with? Yeah, I mean, um, as I say, my main goal is to become a, like a TV presenter, have my own um, TV show. I'd also, um, also in the process of writing another book all about um, my journey of doing all the 92 football stadiums and how that's helped me with my autism. So that's another goal for me to try and get that finished. I'm writing it with my uncle, who I did all the went to all the grounds with. So we've got that goal to try and get that book finished. Um, but I'd also another goal of mine is to do some. I've done a few online talks for other countries around the world. But another goal of mine is to actually start presenting live talks, not just in the UK but in other countries. So that's uh, would be another goal of mine as well. Yeah. No. So it's it's good that you've you've got more goals you want to achieve i think um that's essential um to do that as well so it's really good i think the book the other book you, you talked about would um would be really good to to read um because no doubt there'll be others out there who are autistic asperger's adhd who who are interested in football and sort of can see links between what you're saying and then on the other side of it people who haven't a genuine interest in knowing how the two connect and how it can support you and to help you as well. I think that'd be a really good read um, as well. So now all that goes well and good luck with, with getting that done. Thank you. Uh, you have to let me know when it comes out, actually. I'd be interested in reading that, actually. Um, so just with autism in general, um, is there any... Bit of a general question actually is there anything you want to say about autism in general and or anything you, you're really passionate about other than what you spoke about with autism itself um sorry go on. yeah i think i'm just really passionate about you know promoting the awareness that everyone with asperger's everyone with autism is completely different and it's not just one thing and everyone is the same everyone is completely different so for instance i can't stand the sound ticking radiators and ticking clocks whereas one of my friends with Asperger's finds the sound of ticking clocks really soothing so that's what I try and promote the awareness of and actually try and bust some of those myths that a lot of people believe because I know when I was at school a lot of people had preconceived ideas about what Asperger's and what autism was and I think you know I want to try and stop people from having those preconceived ideas as well but I mean I mean some of the other areas that I'm really passionate on as well as helping people to sort of think look upon Asperger's more as a as a, a positive thing um as a superpower rather than a disability and also my work I'm doing within uh, the football world I also want to try and do more work within sort of public transport and help make public transport a bit more accessible um I mean I've done one or two bits of work for people but yeah that's another area I'd like to sort of get into helping to get public transport more accessible I think that's a, a really good thing as well. Um, definitely, I think, I mean, I, I know people personally who are autistic and don't like getting on buses, for example, 
Um, they just, just can't do it for, say, anxiety purposes and lots of other things. Um, some people don't like trains and, you know, navigating that. Um, I mean, me, myself, I've, I've always, well, I would say I've always been okay with buses. I've not. I've always got on them. Doesn't mean I've always been, been okay with them. Um, it's been lots of different things, like going back, back when I was getting on buses when I was younger, actually counting your change out and giving them the right change and things like that. Um, I had to rehearse it over and over, like if it cost £2.20 or something. I'd have the coins in my hand, but I'd have to keep checking them just to make sure I've got the exact change and, and things like that. And then grabbing your ticket, then finding a seat. Um, where do you sit? If you sit at the front, then everyone's behind you, maybe looking at you. If you sat at the back, you've got to walk past everyone. Um, so there's lots of sort of anxiety-related things with that or on the other side of it, like navigating you know, the social aspects of it. Do you say hello to people? Um, when do you press the, the button to say you want to get off and all these sort of things? Um, so, yeah, I think that would definitely be a good one um, to get into. Um, there was something else I want to say, and it's gone out of my head again, which is a common theme. <laughs> um, so, so just with yourself in terms of, I don't know what you class yourself as, whether you class yourself as an entrepreneur or a business person. I don't know how you refer to it, but what's what's your experience been of that? Once you obviously were diagnosed being autistic, you grew up, um, and then you got to a point where you are doing things for yourself, like say all the different projects you've you've got. How have you found adapting to that in, in the first instance? I think I've all, I mean, I've always worked for myself um, right from when sort of I first left sixth form in college. So it's something I always, always wanted to do because I always wanted to achieve my dreams and my ambitions. And, you know, being able to work for myself, it means that if I do need a break here and there or spontaneously, I can have one. I can, you know, do loads of the things that I wouldn't be able to do if I had a normal sort of, as everyone says, nine to five job. Um, and I think, you know, I would say that for a lot of people with autism, working working for themselves can be really, really beneficial. It's it's the most amazing thing I've ever done. And I'm so driven to achieve my dreams that, you know, I, I, I've always got things to do. And um, I think that working for myself is something that's really, really, really benefited me. And I think it'd be hard for me now, having worked for myself for a number of years, actually to go and work in a company for someone else. That might be a little bit difficult. I'm, I wouldn't say that I wouldn't do it. Um, I'd never say that, but I, I just think working for myself, it gives me a lot more options um, and allows me to have a lot of experiences that maybe other people wouldn't. And also, you know, the work that I do, it's so varied. There's so many different things going on. I'm not just doing the same thing over and over again. It means that I can actually do um, multiple things. And my life is just so interesting by the amount of different things that I'm doing. And again, it just working myself allowed me to achieve my dreams and ambitions and actually go and get them. That's a really good answer. I completely resonate with all of that. Um, yeah, 100%. I think um, like myself, I've worked myself for a bit and I could never imagine sort of working for someone else now. So just because just all the reasons you've said pretty much, I'm, um, totally, totally agree and resonate with that. Um, and I think there's a lot of us who are similar. And I think because 
because of how we are different to the majority, um, that's just, it, it pushes us towards that sort of environment. I think we have to create our own environment where, as you've said, if you want breaks, um, if you do, you know, you're drained from doing whatever, you, you can do that, you can factor that in, whereas a nine to five doesn't allow you to sort of do that generally. Um, it's some a bit flexible, but generally it, it doesn't. Um, and as you said, I think it then allows you to to be more creative with all these projects and things you're doing and and experience things that most people can't do or or, or don't do. Um, so yeah, no, it's um, no, I completely agree, and it's exciting to hear. And as you've said, you've got other things you want to be doing, and no doubt you'll have things after that that you want to achieve uh, moving forward. Um, so, is there anything else? you'd like to sort of talk about um is anything else whether it's autism football or anything uh before we start sort of wrapping it up in a bit um i can't think of anything really um no not at the moment okay so it's a bit of a vague question that one isn't it it's uh what do you want to talk about well i don't know football maybe <laughs> um, i mean i can speak about autism for hours and hours so um there's probably loads of things I can think of, but you know, um, you you don't always have the time to speak for hours and hours on one topic. Exactly, exactly. Totally understand that. Well, it's been great having you on the podcast. Um, like I said, I'd love to see how you continue to progress uh, on top of what you've already done so far, which is great. Um, thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, thanks for being on the podcast, Alex. We really appreciate it. And we'll end it there for today. So thanks, everyone.